You're going to love this. Just love it. Oh, I hope so. Today in particular, I really, really hope so. Oh, I do. Tonight, I do. That's why. That's exactly why. Yes, I am stuck right smack dab in the middle with you this week, not on 90.7 FM KPFK in Los Angeles or 98.7 FM Santa Barbara or 93.7 FM in San Diego or 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest in China Lake. But this week we are on KYAQ 91.7 FM on the Oregon Central Coast. We are, of course, as always, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn, on the Netroots Radio, on the Indie Media Weekly, and, of course, as ever, on iTunes. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly citizen, blogger, investigative journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around Swell fellow from bradblog.com. More at bradblog.com. More from bradblog.com this week than ever before. I will explain why in a second. But glad you could join us for this very special, I'm calling this our special uh, Bradcast election edition. Why is it special? Because, for one, as I mentioned, we are not on uh, on KPFK this week. They are on Fundrive, but... There is so much going on that I felt like <clears throat> I had to jump in. I have to do a, a, a show this week. We're doing a podcast, a podcast version for all of my affiliate networks out there because there's too much going on. There's too much election stuff going on, breaking news, including today. We are recording this from Brad Blog World News Headquarters uh, this evening. Okay, from my house. This evening... But we're doing it because there's so much breaking news before the election as we are just weeks away from it. Um, this is, uh, we are uh, broadcasting, recording, I should say, on uh, on Wednesday. Now, Wednesday evening, having put off this podcast now for two or three hours because stuff keeps breaking. Uh, that is going to affect our elections only, what, three weeks away now? What are we, three, four weeks away? Yeah, even, we're actually, I think, I, one I, month I, away. November 4th I, is the election. Thank you for reminding me. I've lost all track. That is, of course, our lovely producer, Desi Doyen, uh, who will be joining us uh, throughout the evening. Let's see. Okay, uh, lots of election news updates, as I said, including some breaking news from the Supreme Court tonight concerning North Carolina's voter suppression law, uh, some news about Wisconsin GOP's voter suppression law, some news about Ohio's voter suppression law, some uh, actually some good news out of Virginia, out of a federal court in Virginia concerning their congressional maps. 
that had been gerrymandered within an inch of their lives, but those maps have been destroyed. I will tell you about that in a bit. And also, since I'm so desperate to find some good news here today, <laughs> um, uh, th- this news out of Arkansas, if I can get to this, this candidate, this Republican candidate for attorney general who appears to have committed election fraud. Now, actually, I should say she appears to have committed voter fraud. She committed both voter fraud and voter registration fraud, it appears. I'll have that to cheer you up later. And ironically enough, as mentioned, Desi Doyen will be here to cheer you up. And Desi, uh, nothing personal, but (laughs) uh, to say Desi Doyen will be here with the Green News Report to cheer you up. You never hear that. You never <laughs> not hear- often. Not when it comes to green news. <laughs> you actually have, uh, in today's Green News Report, a whole bunch of good news in a row. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And I should say, not a moment too soon, given what I have to cover today. Yeah, and it has been the summer from hell, so there is some good news well, coming up. There is that, yeah. So, okay, great. Stand by for that. Everyone else out there, uh, I'll give you a second to go ahead and, and grab a pen, grab a piece of paper. Okay, good. You got it? Because you're going to want to take notes uh, during this show to try to keep track of everything, what the hell is actually going on in our electoral system, because I'll tell you what, this election coming up in uh, three weeks or whatever it is, is is uh, is going to be decided in the courts. If things keep going the way they're going, it's all going to be decided in the courts. It's going to be specifically decided by the Supreme Court which seems to have shown no compunction this week and last uh, to simply overturn lower courts, uh, lower courts that had trials that actually looked at these voter suppression. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself uh, because we've got some other breaking news uh, that I want to get through quickly before I start breeding up on the Supreme Court and their right-wing friends at places like the 7th District uh, uh, Circuit Court, 7th Circuit Court. All right, uh, the Government Accountability Office, and this is actually a form of good news, I guess. A report out breaking uh, today from the uh, Government Accountability Office. A new report shows that Republican photo ID laws stunted turnout in Kansas and Tennessee. And the reason I say that's good news, because it's not really good news, but it's good news that this information is coming out from the Nonpartisan Government Government Accountability Office. A 206-page report finds that Republican-enacted polling place photo ID restriction laws in states such as Kansas and Tennessee resulted in lowered voting turnout among African Americans as well as younger and recently registered voters. Uh, This study will serve as an important evidence, I suppose, to rebut the disingenuous, cherry-picked nonsense that we've been hearing from Republicans over the years. That Oh, the photo ID laws, they increase voter turnout. What are you talking about? Uh, No, as it turns out, they don't. This from the Hill's coverage of this uh, new study this afternoon. Congress's research arm blamed the two states, Kansas and Tennessee, uh, blamed the laws in those two states, requiring that voters show identification on a dip in turnout in 2012, about two percentage points in Kansas and between 2.2 and 3.2 percentage points in Tennessee. Those declines were greater among younger and African-American voters when compared to turnout in other states. 
Now, Senator Patrick Leahy, Democrat from Vermont and the head of the uh, the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, says, quote, this new analysis from the GAO reaffirms what many in Congress already know. Threats to the right to vote still exist. And this is why Congress must act to restore the fundamental protections of the Voting Rights Act that have been gutted by the Supreme Court. That was Senator Leahy. That, that wasn't me talking about that gutting the Supreme Court. That was a direct quote from him. Uh, the report <clears throat> also, according to Leahy, found scant evidence of voter fraud that the new laws that ostensibly are designed to encourage. Uh, I'm sorry, are designed to discourage. So uh, this report now tells us everything you already know, you broadcast listeners already know out there, because uh, this is exactly what we've been talking about now for years on this program, for years at bradblog.com. But there's uh, one other side of this that I want to, uh, before I get on to the stuff that will really enrage you and me alike, uh, there's more to this story. Uh, it, it's, it's all well and good that uh, Senator Leahy and some of these other Democratic senators, uh, Durbin, Schumer, Nelson, uh, Independent Bernie Sanders, they were all citing this study today. They have all co-sponsored legislation to fix the part of the Voting Rights Act that the U.S. Supreme Court gutted last year in 2013. Uh, that's all well and good. But what they don't say is that both Kansas and Tennessee passed their photo ID restriction laws before the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act. Now, neither Kansas or Tennessee are covered by Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. Section 5, that's the, that's the part that was gutted by the, by the Supreme Court. Section 5 is the one that uh, requires certain jurisdictions with a history of discrimination to pre-clear their laws with the Department of Justice or with a federal court. And if those states can't show that those new election laws won't discriminate, then they will be blocked, or at least they would have been before SCOTUS killed that section of the law. But Section 2 of the law bars discrimination in all 50 states. And oddly enough, neither Kansas nor Tennessee, which are uh, cited here by Leahy, neither Kansas or Tennessee uh, is covered by uh, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, or at least was before it was gutted, etc. How, how Tennessee, <laughs> with, with its history of discrimination, is not covered uh, under the Section 5, uh, I couldn't tell you. Nonetheless, Kansas and Tennessee not covered. They could have been sued by the Department of Justice under Section 2, which covers all 50 states and which is now being used in these suits we're going to talk about today in Texas, in Wisconsin, in North Carolina, etc. The Department of Justice is using Section 2 now to try to stop these laws. Uh, but the Democrats touting this GAO report did not mention that. They did not mention that, frankly, the Department of Justice did not sue Kansas or Tennessee under Section 2. And it's been something that we, on this program and on this blog, have been yelling and screaming about now for years, well before Supreme Court ended up gutting the Voting Rights Act. Now, Eric Holder has announced his resignation. He's on the way on his way out the door. A lot of folks have been uh, touting his 
his great record on civil rights and on voting rights in particular. And I have to say that since the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act last year, uh, summer of 2013, Eric Holder has actually been pretty good, and they brought a lot of cases now against these uh, horrible voter suppression laws. But where was he in the years prior to that? Where was he when folks in Kansas and Tennessee were having their right to vote uh, taken away from them, disenfranchised? Where was Eric Holder then? Did he think, oh, these are Republican states, this is Tennessee, this is Kansas, we're never going to win there, who cares about that? Where was he in the run-up to 2012? Where was the Department of Justice? Why were they not bringing lawsuits in those states? And why is it that when Pennsylvania, just before the 2012 presidential election, when it looked like their polling place photo ID uh, uh, law was going to go through, passed by the horrible idiot Tom Corbett, their governor out there, You know, the Department of Justice started threatening Pennsylvania with a Section 2 lawsuit because of this law. Well, that's great. That's good. But why were they threatening Pennsylvania but not uh, Kansas and Tennessee? Is it because they only cared about, uh, well, you know, they needed Pennsylvania to win in 2012. Barack Obama needed Pennsylvania. He didn't need Kansas or Tennessee. At least they figured they weren't going to win there. So I just, uh, you know, I, I've been uh, searching for an answer. I've been searching for an explanation as, as far as why they didn't bring, why the Department of Justice, why Eric Holder didn't bring voting rights suits sooner uh, on these cases, on these photo ID cases uh, in states like Tennessee and Kansas. And it is hard to conclude anything other than they didn't do it because of partisan reasons, because Kansas and Tennessee didn't matter, but Pennsylvania did. Now, in the end, they didn't have to sue in Pennsylvania because that law was knocked down under the state constitution. Uh, and uh, Tom Corbett, the idiot governor. Did I mention that? He's an idiot governor? I mentioned it. Yeah, you said I, that. I, okay. Uh, he decided not to not to appeal that decision. So that law died. That's good in Pennsylvania. But I don't know. I just, I just wanted to point this out because I see some hypocrisy. In, uh, in the Democrats now being outraged uh, about the fact that voter turnout was depressed in Kansas and Tennessee and that they want to fix the, DO, the, uh, the Voting Rights Act because of it, when, frankly, the Voting Rights Act had nothing to do with voting in Kansas or Tennessee. And, of course, I wanted to uh, try to undermine the hagiography that is currently going on when it comes to Eric Holder at the DOJ being a great civil rights icon for his voting rights uh, acts, his voting rights lawsuits. Eh, I ain't that impressed, to be honest with you. Okay, so with that out of the way, with knowing that these photo ID laws stunted turnout in Kansas and Tennessee, uh, let's move on to what will be stunting the turnout this year (laughs) in the 2014 midterm elections. Because we've got a lot of breaking news on that, and, and, and frankly, it's really confusing. So I'm going to try to make this uh, as easy to understand as possible. First, let's start right now uh, with North Carolina. Where are we here? North Carolina. Okay, North Carolina, because this is breaking just this evening, just before we go to air. This is one of the reasons I wanted to make sure we, uh, we, we did a show this week for the, uh, for the affiliates, syndicated affiliates. Uh, the Supreme Court has overturned uh, 
the appellate court in North Carolina, the Fourth Circuit, had previously restored some of the uh, some of the important voting rights that had been gutted by the Republicans in North Carolina this year. Actually, to be specific, in North Carolina. It was just minutes, I mean literally moments, after the uh, Supreme Court last year gutted the Voting Rights Act that all of a sudden Republicans in North Carolina wrote this massive, this massive, let's call it the, the uh, well, I have called it the nation's worst voter suppression law since Jim Crow. It was only uh, hours after the Supreme Court made their ruling last year that they began moving this bill, and within 24 hours, this thing was passed without debate, without public comment. It's the most, hands down, the most restrictive uh, voter suppression law in the country. It shortens early voting hours. It ends same-day registration. It implements polling place photo ID restrictions, although not until the 2016 election, so that's good, uh, and much more. And so naturally, uh, this law was challenged. It was challenged by the uh, uh, Department of Justice under Section 2, since Section 5 is no longer available. Uh, Suits were filed by the League of Women Voters, ACLU, and so forth. Uh, And it was heard by a George W. Bush judge, a George W. Bush appointee to the U.S. District Court who heard everything, who said, "Mm, yeah, this sounds pretty bad, sounds pretty terrible. You know what? Next year, when we have the full trial in the summer of 2015, we'll take a look at these things because they do sound troubling. But until then, sure, go ahead. You can use this, uh, uh, this disenfranchising massive voter suppression law in North Carolina. In North Carolina, where there is a key Senate race, Senator Kay Hagan, the uh, Democrat there who won in uh, 20, 2008, came in in the Democratic wave election along with Barack Obama. She is now up for uh, a tough re-election contest. So this George W. Bush appointee at the district court said, nah, you know what, go ahead, we'll worry about all of that stuff next year. This year, go ahead, suppress people's votes. That decision was appealed to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, and happily, the Fourth Circuit said, no, we're not going to let that law go through in its entirety for now. And they went ahead and they restored same-day registration, so you can register and vote on the same day, and they restored the counting of out-of-precinct ballots. So, for example, if uh, you go to the wrong precinct to vote for some reason or another and you have to cast a provisional ballot, as long as you're a registered voter... Because now, remember, you you can't register on the same day anymore. But as long as you're a registered voter, those ballots would be counted. Uh, Not anymore uh, until the Fourth Circuit added those two parts of the the bill back in. Or, Or I should say, did away with those two parts of the bill for now, for the November election. So that was the good news that I was prepared to report to you today that same-day registration and the counting of -of out-of-precinct ballots would be allowed, after all, in North Carolina this year. Uh, But now the Supreme Court has come in, and they have overturned that decision at the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeal. The Supreme Court has said, yeah, sure, go ahead. You can uh, run that full law pending... A uh, pending the actual trial on the merits next summer. We don't mind. Go ahead. 
There were two dissenters in this case. Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dissented. She was joined by Justice Sotomayor. Sotomayor. And uh, in her response, in, in the dissent, uh, Justice Ginsburg uh, cited the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals which, quote, uh, determined that at least two of these measures, elimination of same-day registration and termination of -of out-of-precinct voting, risked significantly reducing opportunities for black voters to exercise their franchise in violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Justice Ginsburg said, I would not displace that record-based reasoned judgment. She and Sotomayor apparently were the only ones who felt that way because the Supreme Court... Uh, overturned, overruled the Fourth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals on that. Wait, uh, just a question. Yeah. So, so even Justice Kagan uh, went with the conservative justices on this, uh, or was she recused? She was, uh, as far as I know, and it doesn't list any of the names in here other than Sotomayor and uh, Ginsburg. Yeah, it, it looks like uh, uh, Kagan, in fact, voted with the uh, Republicans. On wow. This one. Did I make your day? Did no. I, did I tell you? Did I tell. I told. I warned you. I said there was bad news, and you were going to be angry. Wow. Yeah. Wow, indeed. Now, uh, I, I also want to add that this law, before it was, uh, well, it, it was. It has been in place all year. And back in May in North Carolina, they had a primary election, and this law was in place. And in fact, as Democracy NC found. Some 454 North Carolina uh, North Carolinians were discovered uh, to have been disenfranchised. 454 voters who would have had their ballots counted in 2012 did not have them counted in the 2014 primary. So this law has already disenfranchised voters. One of them uh, that was cited by the uh, League of Women Voters in their appeal to the Supreme Court or their response to North Carolina's appeal to the Supreme Court. One of them was just back from Afghanistan. He had, uh, I mean, this is just absolutely maddening. Uh, he had served, uh, he was just back, he had uh, came back home from an 18th month, 18-month deployment in Afghanistan, and he sought to vote, only to be told at his early voting site that there was no record of his registration. He had not been notified that his registration was canceled while he was deployed in Afghanistan. So for whatever reason, he never got the notice, and he was unfortunately unable to remedy the situation as he normally would have been, traditionally would have been in North Carolina, by simply registering to vote on the same day and then voting. By the way, North Carolina had been at the bottom of the barrel in the country as far as voter turnout until they put in these rather progressive uh, provisions for voters over the past few years before the Republican takeover. And in fact, uh, they, you know, they have same day, well, they used to <laughs> have same day registration where you can register and vote on the same day on Election Day in North Carolina. Uh, we don't even have that out here in uh, liberal, lefty, blue, progressive California. Uh, but they did out there in North Carolina, and uh, they vaulted from something like 47th place in the country and turnout up to like 11th or something, thanks to those reforms that have now all been undone and that have now served to disenfranchise 
uh, a 22-year-old guy who was uh, out serving in Afghanistan only to lose his vote when he came home. He's not the only one. Uh, Democracy North Carolina lists uh, about 454 of them. We have a few of them listed at the Brad blog, but you get the idea. And uh, sorry, uh, Craig Thomas uh, and folks like you, you ain't going to be able to vote this year unless you get registered in advance. And in order to do that, you've got to work quickly. Not sure when the registration deadline. I don't know. It may have even already passed. I don't know. Uh, but the Supreme Court doesn't care. That's North Carolina. Okay, got that? Now, the decision in North Carolina was akin, at least the decision by the Supreme Court in North Carolina, was akin to another Supreme Court decision uh, in just the past few days. Bad news in Ohio. We had a very uh, sort of a similar case here where the Republicans in Ohio have been trying and trying like hell for years now, to undo reforms that were done in Ohio after the 2004 election, after the disastrous 2004 presidential election that embarrassed the Buckeye State. Uh, They came in, they elected a Democratic Secretary of State, they did all kinds of reforms, most notably expanding early voting. They expanded early voting uh, by uh, more than a month. And one of those weeks of early votings of early voting actually happened to overlap with uh, with registration. So there was one week when you could both register and vote in the state of Ohio. They called it the golden week because that's when you could do both things at once. And uh, as well, they found that early voting, huge early voting turnout on the Sunday before elections by African-American voters. It was called Souls to the Polls. After church on Sunday, they would say, hey, everyone, let's head on over and vote. And tens of thousands of voters in Ohio took advantage of this extra added early voting, the Sunday Souls to the Polls voting. Uh And the Republicans, of course, this year gutted uh, that by restricting, uh, by by killing Golden Week. Uh, So they removed a week of early voting. They said, no more voting on Sunday. We can't have that. Too damn many black people voting on Sunday. That's got to stop. So they tried that. But the district court in Ohio said, no, you can't do that. And they also said, oh, by the way, you tried to do the same thing just before the 2012 election. We told you couldn't do it then either. So you still can't do it. Restore the early voting. Restore the Sunday voting. Uh, The state of Ohio appealed to the Sixth Circuit Court. The Sixth Circuit Court said, "Uh, no. Listen to what the judge told you down at the U.S. District Court. You can't do it. Restore the early voting. Uh, so the district court and the appellate court both told Ohio, both told the Republican Republicans there, you got to restore the early voting. And of course, Ohio appealed to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court in a five to four decision said, ah, you know, we're with the Republicans. Now, yeah, go ahead. If they want to kill the uh, early voting there, if they want to kill Sunday voting, it's OK with us. So, Ohio, uh, you're screwed if you wait too long to vote. They also killed, you know, stuff like evening hours uh, when people could actually, you know, get off work and go and early vote. 
uh, those are killed by the Republicans in Ohio. So let's count. Bad news in North Carolina. Bad news in Ohio. And then we get to Wisconsin. And I can't. Uh, I, I, should I take a break or no? Okay, let me. I'll do. I'll just do this before the break. Because this this one is going to. Did you get your pen and paper? You keeping track of this, Desi? Because I told you this is a difficult issue to. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to keep track, keep track of all this. I'm just. It's it's sort of astounding. So are we straight here? North Carolina, uh, it sucks what the Supreme Court did. Ohio sucks what the Supreme Court did. And I bet it's going to be kind of similar in Wisconsin. Oh, it's not even... You know what? The Wisconsin, the Supreme Court hasn't even made their decision yet. Oh, no. It already sucks at the lower court level, and I will explain to you why. Um, this... Oh, this Okay, so uh, photo ID. We've talked about it on the show. We've talked about Wisconsin. You know, you got Scott Walker there in a, in a fight for his life. Too close to call race against Democrat Mary Burke uh, in his re-election bid up there in Wisconsin. And so, of course, Wisconsin has been trying to pass a, a, a voting, uh, a photo ID voting law, a restriction on voting at the polling place and, unlike many states, also at, at the, uh, for absentee ballots. You actually have to make a photocopy of an absentee, uh, of, of a, your your state issued photo ID and send it in with your absentee ballot under this law. But this law has been blocked at the state level. This law has been blocked uh, by several different judges. It was blocked by a federal judge, a U.S. District Court judge, who had a full trial on the merits of this law. Judge Lynn Edelman wrote a 70, I think it was 73-page ruling his decision on this case, he found that the law would affect some 300,000 legally registered voters, voters who are already registered in Wisconsin, but who will not be able to vote under this new law because they don't have the type, the type, the very specific type of photo ID restrictions now required under this law. So he struck down the law. He found that it was in violation of the Voting Rights Act, that it was in violation of the uh, of the Constitution, after a full trial, after listening to all of the expert witnesses, he pointed out that Scott Walker's election in 2010, his statewide election, uh, Walker only reportedly won by about 125,000 votes. And yet some 300,000 voters now in Wisconsin, registered voters, will not be able to cast a ballot in this year's election. So the U.S. District Court Judge Edelman uh, killed the law. That was the good news. That was then. But since we've been uh, since we've been on the, uh, I think we 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 were off last week because of uh, the KPFK fund drive. Uh, since that time, we've had a couple of decisions in Wisconsin that blew my mind and will probably blow yours. Uh, the state of Wisconsin, Scott Walker, obviously appealed this decision to the Seventh Circuit Appellate Court. Uh, down in Chicago, I think they are. Uh, he, they appealed this decision, and through the luck of the draw, you know, you get a three-judge panel at first at these circuit courts, and they apparently, we are told, they draw these judges by lot. Now, the Seventh Circuit Court is is pretty conservative. It's got a lot more Republican appointees than it does Democratic appointees. I think it's 
eight Republicans to two or three Democrats, if I recall. Anyway, the luck of the draw gave Scott Walker and the state of Wisconsin three Republican judges on this three-judge panel. Two of them were appointed by George W. Bush. And what do you know, despite that 70-page ruling by the uh, district court judge that actually looked at this case, that actually sat through the trial, actually wrote, uh, wrote this thoughtful opinion, despite that, these three Republican judges said, yeah, no, we don't care. Um, we are going to overturn the district court judge. Why? Well, they didn't give much of a reason. But the uh, issue was then appealed by the uh, ACLU to an on, for an on-bank hearing before the Seventh Circuit. That's the entire Seventh Circuit, all of the judges. There are currently 10 judges on that uh, circuit. And they voted to a deadlock, five to five. All three of the judges who on the three-judge panel who had previously uh, nixed the lower court's uh, ruling on this, all three of them, of course, voted to continue uh, nixing that ruling and allowing the Wisconsin uh, uh, photo ID law to move forward. They were joined by two other Republicans. So you had five Republicans voting uh, to uphold the three-judge panel. And then you had... Three Democrats and two Republicans voting against it, voting to say, no, no, that law is unconstitutional. It should be struck down. But it was a five to five vote. And because the three judge panel had already overturned the lower district court, that means even though it's a deadlock, even though it's a tie, even though (laughs) you've got, uh, you know, five on one side, five on the other. One side has both Democrats and Republicans. The other one is all Republicans. Even though that's the case, the law in Wisconsin, the photo ID restriction law that 300,000 voters may not be able to vote under is now back on in Wisconsin just weeks before the November election. Now, in some places in Wisconsin... The Department of Motor Vehicles is only open twice a week. So if you're going to go get one of these uh, photo IDs that they're supposed to be able to give you for free, if you can, you know, if you happen to have the birth certificate, if you happen to have a passport, if you happen to have the money to, to buy either of those things, if you're going to have uh, any of that, you can go in to the, Supreme, uh, to, the, to the DMV if you can find them on the two days that they're open and you can try to get your free ID. Now, if you were born out of state and you don't have a birth certificate... The DMV has now been ordered they must help you somehow. They must help you to locate your birth certificate, and they must do that for free. But they have said, the state has said, it's going to take six weeks uh, to find that information. So there is electoral chaos right now in Wisconsin. And you know what? Well, there's electoral chaos in Wisconsin now that this has been restored. It has been appealed to the Supreme Court. But I've already told you what the Supreme Court has done in North Carolina. I've told you what they've done in Ohio. What do you imagine they're going to do in Wisconsin? Now, before we get to break here, I had hoped to actually uh, beat the hell out of this uh, judge, Frank Easterbrook, who issued the opinion for the Seventh Circuit. But I'm not going to have time to, to, to beat him as well as I would like, frankly, uh, based on what he wrote in his opinion, which is so full of stuff and nonsense and demonstrable lies 
that I can't even believe that it appears in a court of law. And by the way, this is not just me talking. This is guys like, you know, election expert Rick Hassan. Uh, mild-mannered, easygoing, actually rather conservative when it comes to uh, concerns about photo ID restrictions. He tweeted that his blood was boiling after he saw Easterbrook's opinion, uh, the ruling in this case, and how uh, Easterbrook just laughed off, just, you know, did away with, gave the back of his hand to the district court judge who actually heard the case and to the experts who testified in this case. One of them he called a, a, a marketing uh, expert, a marketing consultant. That's what he was. The other ones uh, were, were preeminent experts on uh, voting law issues uh, who published at Harvard Law Magazine, and he called it uh, an, a not peer-reviewed journal or some nonsense like that. But the part that really ticked me off and I'm going to try to get to here, and then I promise we'll take a break and a breath, uh, is, is this paragraph. Because I've heard this for years from right-wingers who are defending these discriminatory voting laws. Okay, he was talking about uh, the 300,000 registered voters who lack acceptable photo ID. He says, the number is questionable. The district judge who tried the Indiana case back in 2008... Uh, the original photo ID case, uh, rejected a large estimate as fanciful in a, and I'm reading this a quote, in a world in which photo ID is essential to board an airplane, enter Canada, or any other foreign nation, to drive a car, even people who do not own cars need licenses to drive friends or relatives' cars, to buy a beer, to purchase pseudofedrin uh, pseudo for a stuffy nose, or pick up a prescription at a pharmacy, open a bank account or a cash, a check at a currency exchange, to buy a gun, or enter a courthouse to serve as a juror, or to watch the argument of this appeal. Could 9% of Wisconsin's voting population really do none of the these things, asks right-wing Frank Easterbrook of the Seventh Circuit, member of the Federalist Society, the uh, Koch Brothers-funded Federalist Society. There is so much BS in that paragraph that it blows my mind. And I'll just uh, I'll point you to bradblog.com uh, for the evidence of, of, of all of this. But let me just hit a few of these things. No, you don't need a photo ID to board an airplane. No matter how many times right-wingers say that, you don't need a photo ID to board an airplane. It don't, but don't believe me. Go to the Transportation Security Administration. Go to the TSA. Go to their webpage. Look up acceptable IDs for boarding a plane, and it will easily confirm the following. Here's what it says. We understand passengers occasionally arrive at the airport without an ID because of losing it or inadvertently leaving it at home. If this happens to you, it does not necessarily mean you won't be able to fly. If you are willing to provide additional information, we have other ways to confirm your identity, like using publicly available databases so you can reach your flight. I also detail in, in my report on this uh, a, a number of people, uh, including election expert Justin Leffitt uh, of NYU's Brennan Center, who actually testified before the U.S. Senate. On his way to the U.S. Senate to testify, he went to the airport to fly from L.A. to D.C., and he did not bring his photo ID with him on purpose. And he was able to get through security without a problem. He said it took about 10 extra minutes, 
Once he was through security, he sat down, he bought a beer without his photo ID. I can't recall the last time anyone has asked me for my ID when I went to buy a beer. He flew across the country. He went to the U.S. Senate uh, Dirksen office building, and he went in to his hearing to testify about all of this, and he did it without a photo ID. No, you don't need a photo ID for almost all of those things that Judge Easterbrook uh, told, uh, told America, told the Supreme Court that you need them for. They're all mm, lies. And he issued his opinion just before the responses were due from the plaintiffs and um, the respondents in the U.S. Supreme Court in the Wisconsin Challenge I can only imagine what's going to happen in that case. Uh, it may even happen by the time you hear this, uh, this, this podcast over the weekend for my network affiliates. The 2014 election is likely to be decided, as I explained, in the courts before Election Day, before any votes are ever cast. But let me add one more thing. Votes have already been cast in Wisconsin. Thousands of ballots were sent out to absentee voters before the Seventh Circuit undermined the U.S. District Court judge and restored that photo ID law. And those absentee ballots have no instruction on them that voters need to return their ballot with a copy, with a photocopy of their photo ID. Wisconsin, one of the few states that actually requires photo ID with absentee ballots as well as polling place uh, uh, voting. So all of those thousands of voters who have already voted, who already have absentee ballots without the instruction, well, the uh, state of Wisconsin, the Government Accountability Board there is trying to reach each of them one by one to let them know that voting was not enough. Now they got to come in and show a photo ID somehow. What a mess. Electoral chaos in Wisconsin caused by the courts and very likely uh, to be allowed to continue by the U.S. Supreme Court. It's coming through a hole in the air From those nads in Tiananmen Square It's coming from the field that this ain't exactly real Or it's real but it ain't exactly there Disorder from the sirens night and day From the fires of the homeless From the ashes of the gay Democracy is coming To the USA Really? Really? Is it? I'll believe it when I see it. We're going to take a quick break here so I can take a... uh, A breather so you can take a breather and we will be back with much more including desi doyan to cheer us up (laughs) and a uh and a republican uh, ag candidate in arkansas who committed voter fraud all of that and more straight ahead i'm brad friedman this is your bradcast What is known, and the evidence is clear. I'm not alone. 
you won't. And it's not worth fighting for. It is worth fighting for, and that's exactly what we're doing right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman from KPFK Pacifica Radio. We are not on KPFK Pacifica Radio this week. They are on Fun Drive. But as I said in the previous segment, it's such a huge week, just weeks out from the election, so much going on uh, that I needed to come on and do a show anyway. For my affiliates, for my network affiliates, that's how much I love you guys. And also, because I'm not on KPFK this week, uh, I, I can tell you that uh, we need your support. We need your support at the Bradcast at bradblog.com. No one pays us for what we do. No one pays us to be on the air at uh, KPFK on Pacifica Radio. No one pays us for the Green News Report, which is coming up shortly with Desi Doyen. We are listener-supported, reader-supported. So please, please consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate and dropping a few bucks into the, uh, into the tip jar because I don't think anyone gives you coverage of your elections like this. They'll cover the horse race, sure, but they won't cover the crap that's left behind uh, on the track, the track conditions the way we do at Bradblog. Did I mention I'm Brad Friedman? Did I say that, Desi? You, you, yeah, you yeah, yeah, you said track? that, okay. yeah. Brad Friedman, bradblog.com. I'm so upset. I, I can't even see straight anymore. Can you tell? Uh, anyway, so I couldn't normally say that if I was on KPFK about donating to our efforts. So I'm saying it here. Counting on you guys. we got a big election coming up. Help me out. All right. Uh, we are going to get to Desi and the Green News Report very uh, shortly. But because I ran long, as usual, as I want to do, <laughs> uh, I'll just cover these items uh, very quickly. Some of them that may make you smile, which is necessary given what's been going on today uh, and this week. Uh, federal court. Here's a good, finally, good news from the federal court. Don't know what's going to happen by the time it gets to the Supreme Court, but for now, it's good news, and so I'll take it. Uh, this week, breaking federal court in Virginia strikes down one of the most aggressive gerrymanderers in the country. Ian Milheiser uh, reports over at Think Progress that one of the most aggressive gerrymanderers in the country is unconstitutional, according to a divided three-judge panel in Virginia. In 2012, President Barack Obama defeated Republican Mitt Romney by three points in the state of Virginia. Nevertheless, Republicans control eight of the state's 11 congressional districts. Yet, according to an opinion by Judge Allison Duncan, a George W. Bush appointee, that's good news, a George W. Bush appointee, the maps that produce this result are unconstitutional and the legislature must, quote, act within the next legislative session to draw a new congressional district plan. Milheiser goes on to report that although this will permit the 2014 elections to be run under the old maps in Virginia, new maps must be in place by 2016, assuming, of course, that this decision is not reversed on appeal. <laughs> Good point, Ian. Uh, as Virginia currently has a Democratic governor, Governor Terry McAuliffe, uh, he will be able to veto any plan which is unfair to his fellow Democrats, while the GOP-controlled legislature will no doubt push for a map that serves Republican interests. But he adds, because the current maps favor Republicans so strongly, the likelihood—I'm uh, sorry—the likely result will be maps that are much more favorable to Democrats. Uh, 
He predicts that the new maps produce, uh, should they produce a congressional delegation that more closely resembles the state's uh, partisan preferences, it's likely that Democrats will gain two to three U.S. House seats just from the redistricting alone in Virginia. Have to wait till 2016 for that, but uh, so be it. All right, uh, there's some good news for you. And now, as promised, very quickly, point you over, as usual, to bradblog.com for more on this. But the uh, Arkansas Republican attorney general candidate was removed from the voting rolls after the confirmation that she had multiple state registrations. And yes, in fact, she voted uh, illegally back in 2008. Woman's name is Leslie Rutledge. I wrote about it at Brad Blog and over at Salon. It's rather amazing. She moved to Washington, D.C. She registered to vote out there in 2008. She moved, I guess, from Arkansas out to D.C. She registered to vote uh, in July of 2008 in Washington, D.C., And then in September of 2008, she applied to uh, back to Arkansas for an absentee ballot after she had already registered in Washington, D.C. Oh, and then she moved to Virginia uh, and registered out there in 2010 and now has moved back to Arkansas and never re-registered to vote. So the, uh, the uh, county clerk in Pulaski County has removed her from the rolls. And as it turns out, if you are not a, uh, here's the law, no persons shall be elected to or appointed to fill a vacancy in any office who does not possess the qualifications of an elector. If Rutledge is not registered in Arkansas, she no longer possesses the qualifications of an elector and she cannot be on the ballot. She has uh, re-registered under protest at the very uh, at the very bitter end, but we'll see. I, I don't even know if her uh, primary win earlier this year was legal. She may not end up being on the ballot. She definitely committed voter fraud, as far as I can tell, back in 2008. It may be outside of the three-year statute of limitations. But this woman, Leslie Rutledge, who's running for attorney general in Arkansas not only committed voter fraud herself, but she said earlier this year, back in May, as Attorney General, I'll defend voter ID laws to protect the integrity of our elections. Really? Let's do some green news. Melting as usual for Desi Doyen, yeah. and we are melting. We're still in a heat wave out here in California. Yeah, it's the second heat wave in a week, actually. In, in October. Yeah, October, uh, 99 degrees the other day. So Yeah, that's not weird at all. No, uh, we got to get right to the green news. Are you enjoying our uh, podcast-only election uh, broadcast special? Yeah, it's great. Are you angry? Uh, no, but it is. Uh, it would be nice to hear some of the nice news that's coming up in the green <laughs> some news. Some of the nice news. All right, some good news for a change in our latest green news report. This year's prize is about light. How many scientists does it take to change a light bulb? Three, according to the Nobel Prize Committee. Despite today's population of more than 22 million people, the air quality in Southern California has drastically improved. EPA regulations cut cancer risk from air pollution 65% in California. Clean, zero-emission producing big rigs will soon be rolling down the E-Highway in the Alameda Corridor. Los Angeles builds an all-electric highway... 
Plus, good news for breathers. Supreme Court upholds EPA ozone pollution regulations. All of that good news and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I don't deny science. I ask people, other people on the, on the other side of this debate, let's not deny, deny some reality, too. Uh, okay, so thanks for that false dichotomy between science and reality. Cecil Roberts, president of the United Mine Workers Union, this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, taking a peek at your headlines, it seems we have a surprising amount of good news in today's Green News Report. Are you okay? (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm fine. This is all pretty good news, as you said. First off, how many scientists does it take to change a light bulb? Apparently three. The Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences has decided to award the 2014 Nobel Prize in Physics for the invention of efficient blue light emitting diodes, which has enabled bright and energy saving white light sources. Three physicists, two from Japan, one from America, won the Nobel Prize for Physics on Tuesday for inventing the blue light-emitting diode, which made today's white light LEDs possible. The invention brought super-energy-efficient white light to millions, saving money, cutting pollution, but also making possible many innovations that we now rely on, from smartphones to data storage to even water sanitation, according to Stefan Normark of the Nobel Prize Committee. Uh, We see that impact. You see it in the streets, you see it on the cars, you see it in the lights. Yeah, the invention of the LED has really changed the entire industry. I understand that 20% of the world's electricity is used for lighting, and if LEDs were maximized in their use, that number would decrease to just 4%. In the U.S., a victory for anyone who breathes. The U.S. Supreme Court has declined to hear yet another industry challenge to new air pollution standards to reduce harmful ground level ozone, commonly known as smog, that were introduced by the Bush administration, EPA, to protect public health. A coal and utility industry coalition sued over those new regulations, saying the rules were just too stringent. Smog causes dangerous respiratory ailments and premature death. Now the new ozone rules will stand. I guess that was all part of George W. Bush's war on coal. But uh, tell me this, can we learn anything from this uh, ruling or non-ruling from the Supreme Court in regard to the EPA's new rules for carbon emissions under Barack Obama? Well, the devil will be in the details. Generally, the right-wingers on the Supreme Court uphold the EPA's overall authority, but they also seem to look for ways to curtail how the EPA goes about making those regulations. But in this case, they didn't. They let George W. Bush's regulations stand. Yes. And contrary to right-wing ideology, air pollution standards save lives and save money. A new study from the Southern California Air Quality Management District finds that the risk of cancer from air pollution in the region has plummeted 65% since 2005. Since 2005? Yes. I live in Southern California. That's great news. Yes, it is great news because regulations spurred the innovation 
innovation that made that possible, like two new innovations in Los Angeles around the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, which together handle nearly half of the nation's imported goods. Now, container ships that are docked at those ports used to run their dirty diesel engines for power 24 hours a day, and that caused skyrocketing respiratory health impacts for nearby residents. Now, those ships are required to plug into electrical power at the dock, and that eliminated a major source of air pollution. Tyranny. Sounds like tyranny. And those new air pollution standards have spurred another innovation, an electric highway pilot project in L.A. It's going to use specially modified electric 18-wheeler trucks that'll take cargo the short distance from the ports out to distribution centers and railroads further inland, and that will eliminate local air pollution from trucks. Both of those public health innovations are a matter of environmental justice, say city planners, because some of L.A.'s poorest neighborhoods live nearby the ports. You mean this is being spearheaded by the city of Los Angeles? Yes, because air pollution costs about $900 million a year in health care. Not a private company? No. Tyranny, just like I said. For much more on that tyranny of clean air and much more on today's stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebook and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Ah, yes, to love you, and I do love you. We got to get out. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, my co-host of the Green News Report. Thank you, Desi Doyen. Thank Greatly you. Greatly appreciated. Uh, let's hope there's no more court decisions. If there are, maybe we'll be back again for another podcast next week. My thanks to all of the affiliates out there, and my thanks to you, the listener of the broadcast. Really glad you could join us this week. All right, we'll see you same Brad time, same Brad channel, maybe next week. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, world. Good night, world.